Good morning once again. My name is Stephanie. I'm one of the pastors here at Mill City, and I want to extend a welcome to any of you who are maybe joining us for one of the first few times, just getting connected. I would love to connect with any of you this afternoon. Email info at millcitychurch.com. We'll get you connected. I'd love to meet you this afternoon, tell you a little bit more about our mission and what we're all about here at Mill City, loving our community in the name of Jesus. Since the beginning of 2020, we have been going through the New Testament in a year. So we started in the very beginning of the Gospels and we're moving all the way through. And here we are now in uh, Ephesians, in the letters that Paul has written to the churches. And the question that we're asking together is how do we live? These are the questions we feel like a lot of these churches were asking in the first century. How do we live? If Jesus is who Jesus said he is, if Jesus did what Jesus said he did, then what does it mean for us? How do we live? This is the question that we're asking together. Okay, so Ephesus, this is the city where this church was receiving this letter from Paul. Ephesus was a church that was kind of like the center of worship when it came to all the Greek and Roman gods. People would come to Ephesus to worship these gods. It was kind of like a place that they would travel in this time in the first century. Paul came to Ephesus in, uh, in the story in Acts 19. You can read all about how he came to Ephesus and he was there for about two years. And during that time, many people became Jesus followers. Even though this is this place that surrounded and represented all these different gods, here we have Paul, by the power of the Holy Spirit, people are realizing and coming to worship the one true God through the Holy Spirit and through Jesus. And so then flash forward, years later, Paul is being imprisoned by the Romans. And while he's in prison, he writes this letter to this church that he loves, this church that he hasn't seen in a long time. And scholars believe that this letter was one of the most widely circulated letters written to the early churches, to the point where some of us wonder, did Paul actually intend to not only say these words to Ephesus and to the people that were following Jesus there, but maybe to many other churches? And I think that's maybe one of the reasons that this has become such a meaningful letter to so many of us who are parts of churches, parts of the church today. This has been an important book for us at Mill City Church, for instance, because our covenants that we, we put together for our membership is actually rooted in a lot of scripture, but Ephesians 4, which I'll read to you in a minute, is a core cornerstone passage for us for what it means for us to be a church here thousands of years later. Let's start out by just watching this two-minute video. You all know if you've been around, I love the Bible Project, love these guys. Check out their YouTube channel, check out their website. But there's about a two-minute overview of the book of Ephesians, and I want you to watch it and listen and try to just get your head around the flow of this letter from beginning to end, because it was intended to be written and read from beginning to end. So let's check this out. Let's take, for example, Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Okay, there's the opening. And then, a long thanksgiving prayer to God. And in the center of this opening prayer, Paul introduces the main idea of the whole letter. It's about God's plan. To unite together all things in heaven and earth, in Messiah Jesus. But what does that mean? Well, as we move into the body of the letter, Paul is going to repeat and unpack this rich idea. Right, but in the body of the letter, it's easy to get lost and lose track of what Paul's even talking about. Totally. I mean, the letter to the Ephesians has about 3,000 words. And that one's short compared to his other letters. But remember, Paul wrote these letters to be heard aloud. And so he usually gives clues to the progression of thought with transition words like therefore or because of this or so then. Okay. So the body of Ephesians breaks down to a lot of paragraphs, but they all begin with these transition words. Right. And each paragraph has its own main idea. 
So the first one is about how the risen Jesus is king of everything and everyone. And as for you, that is non-Israelites, you are now included in the new humanity God's creating. Therefore, God's one new family consists of people from all nations. So God has unified a new humanity in Jesus. That's the core idea here. Right, and that theme unites all of the paragraphs in chapters one through three. Then we come to chapter four and we get a really significant transition. Therefore. Yeah, that transition word is actually a hinge between the first and second half of the letter. God's unified a new humanity in Jesus. Therefore what? Great question. Let's keep going and we'll summarize the paragraphs of chapter four. God's one new humanity is really diverse. So we must live together as God's new creation. And that therefore requires that we learn how to love and forgive each other because we are one. This section is all about living in unity. Right, and so you can see now how all the parts of the letter fit together into one flow of thought. God's unified a new humanity in Jesus, therefore live in a way that fosters that unity. Seeing it broken down like this is really helpful. It's like a roadmap, so I don't get lost. Okay, so I love that. I love how it just gives us this overview, that there really is one thought all the way through. In that first part, Ephesians 1 through 3, and then that second part, Ephesians 4 through 6. The first part, God's unified humanity in Jesus, which is amazing. Therefore, we live as people who foster that unity. That's our question there. How do we live? When you hear the word therefore in these letters as you go through in these next few weeks, whenever you hear that, that's a clue that we're asking that question. How do we live? Therefore, what do we do? If God did this, therefore, how do we live? So there's these two parts, Ephesians 1 through 3. If you read through it, you'll see that it's the gospel story. It's the story that Jesus is able to make one new humanity out of these two. This is a huge deal. This is mind-blowing to these folks at this time. And then there's the second part, which is our story, how we should then live. And so as we've been going through the New Testament, we've been asking this question that I think this book is talking about. If we think about God's story and the reality of who God is, then every aspect of our story should be influenced by God's story. Every part of our story should be influenced by the story of God. And so that's why these two parts make so much sense. In that therefore part, we see Paul summarize all of what he's trying to say for the rest of of part two in the very beginning of chapter four. So if you have a Bible, I'm gonna read it for you. This is this portion that I was talking about, a piece of it that is really important to us in our community here at Mill City. So right away in the very beginning, This is what he says. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So you see how much he wants us to focus on this idea of one. How many times did he say the word one? Look at this image that's also from the Bible Project. I just love it, of these people together forming the word one. One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. This is a beautiful image of what it would mean for us to live into this new humanity that God's inviting us into through Jesus. So at this time, we've got the Jews and the Gentiles, these two groups of people who historically had a lot of division. We've talked about this before. Both groups of people 
good groups of people, but a lot of division because of so much that's going on between them. It's not exactly like some of the racial tension that we have today, but there are similarities that can help us think about the realities that we're facing today. It's not exactly like the division that we see amongst Jesus followers or in the church that we see today, but what they were going through does help us think about some of those same realities that we have today. And so in the midst of this struggle and in the midst of this division, Paul is expressing God's desire for them, God's heart for them, that they would experience oneness, that they would experience oneness. This is unity, but not uniformity. This is all the beauty of diversity, but coming together to say we have one God and one Holy Spirit that brings us together. When you think about this, for the Jews and the Gentiles at this time, if they were going through even a a little bit of what we're going through now when we think about our situation, think about how tall of an order that was for them to to think about experiencing oneness, that would have been mind-blowing. But here, this is what Paul is saying. This is what God's heart is for them. I mean, did you hear that? Being completely humble, gentle, and loving. Being completely humble, gentle, and loving is hard enough with people who are similar to you. Am I right? Um, Not to mention those people who you have historical baggage with, who you have pain and hurt, prejudice, things that have gone on. Oneness is a big challenge. Oneness is a huge challenge. So here's a question for you. All right, pop quiz. What does Paul's encouragement to the church in Ephesus have to do with the random lists of things I asked you about for community time, all right? Those weird questions are not always my fault, but today they were my, it was my fault, okay? So what is in common with this challenge that Paul has for the people back in Ephesus and perhaps even for us now? What is in common with these other three things that I said? Being able to speak a new language just all of a sudden, being able to do complex math problems in your head in seconds, or being able to memorize huge amounts of information. What these things have in common with being completely gentle and loving is that these things are impossible, okay? (laughs) These things are, at least for me, okay? I've tried with the language thing the best I can. These things are impossible, all right? So you say, okay, but maybe, maybe, maybe if we work a little bit harder. Nope, I'm telling you, I think it's still impossible. Maybe if we get a little bit smarter. Well, maybe that would help you with the language thing or the math thing, but I don't think so. Maybe if we could just learn more and just get more information in our heads. No, I just don't think that it's going to happen. I really think there's only one way for this impossibility to be possible. And that is if we depend on the power of the Holy Spirit. If we depend on the power of the Holy Spirit, how do we live? We surrender to the Holy Spirit. These letters were intended to be read out loud. And so we have them all together here in this book. But imagine that in the first century, most people couldn't read. And so what I want you to imagine, and maybe even a challenge for you, is as you continue to read these books along with us, and if you want to read along with us, just check it out. Go to millcitychurch.com slash NT2020. Read along with us. Here's my challenge. Watch the Bible Project video that's on their YouTube channel about that book, about that letter usually a few minutes, this week it was eight minutes long, and then read the letter out loud. I did that this week. I read the book of Ephesians out loud, the letter, as though it was being read out loud to some people. And it only took me 15 minutes. But as I did that, I was reading it and I thought, man, this is challenging. What Paul's encouraging these people to do is so challenging. But do you know what else I noticed? 
how many promises from God and how much encouragement Paul also offers. So let me just give you like a, a snapshot of what Paul says just even throughout the book. Chapter one, he says the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to us by the Holy Spirit. That is encouraging. Chapter two, God's grace and love are how we get to be a part of the kingdom of God. It's not something we can earn. It's not because we work hard enough, but God also did make us to do incredible things to join in what God's doing in the world. Chapter three, once again, filled by the power of the Holy Spirit, and that's how we're gonna have power and strength. Who could use a little bit more power and strength right now? I know I could. Chapter four, God gave us all different gifts and different passions for a very specific purpose, and that is to encourage one another and to build each other up. We're not in this alone. That's so encouraging too. Chapter five, God helps lead us out of darkness and into light. It says that we can live as children of light. So imagine you're in this dark room, you can't see anything. Even just a little bit of light helps you see your way, doesn't it? That's the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Chapter six, there's an enemy that doesn't want us to rely on the Holy Spirit. This enemy doesn't need us to, to worship uh, the enemy at all. It, the enemy just needs to get us to think we can do it on, on our own. That's all. And, and, and then the encouragement is, the armor of God, that's where that's, that is found, is in Ephesians 6, that the armor of God is available to us, that God fights for us, we only need to stand firm. I don't know, but reading it out loud helped me see, yeah, the challenge, but also the encouragement and the invitation that Paul is offering. Let me look at these two parts of Ephesians just a little bit closer. Remember the gospel story and then our story, what God has done in this new humanity and then what that means for us living into that new story and being people who live into that kind of unity? I'm gonna read Ephesians 2. So if you have a Bible, pull it out. Ephesians 2, 13 through 22. And as it's up on, on the screen, I want you to listen for something very specific. Listen for what God is promising to do. I don't know about you, but sometimes I read through these letters and I'm going, something else I have to do, something else I have to do, try harder at that, be better at this. I think if we actually look at these letters and we look first for what God's going to do, it changes everything. So as I read this, Ephesians 2, verse 13 through 22, just this small portion. Listen for what God is promising to do. Let's read this together. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to you who were near. For him we, ha we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Okay, we could talk a long time about the promises of God in just this passage alone. God promises to bring us near to God, even though we were far away. God promises that God will be our peace. God is the one who's gonna destroy the barrier between us and God. God is the one who's gonna create a new humanity out of two groups of people that have had hostility. 
God is the one who's going to put to death. God's going to kill their hostility. He's going to bury their hostility. God's going to give access by the Holy Spirit to the Father, to the God of the universe. God is going to give us the invitation to be citizens of the kingdom of God, to give our primary allegiance to Jesus and say, we are citizens of the kingdom of God, but not only citizens, we are also in the household. We are also in the family of God, taking it a step further. And then finally, what is God gonna do? God is going to build us up like a temple. It's a metaphor, right? God's gonna build us up like a temple that's worthy of the spirit of God living inside of it. That is what God is promising to do. Incredible things that God is promising to do. Therefore, how should we live? If God's willing to do all that, how should we live? As people who let God's story shape every part of our story, as people who live into this oneness, as hard as it might seem, this is only possible if we are surrendered to the Holy Spirit. That summary that I read then, as we put to, go to that second part of Ephesians, that, that we are living a life that's worthy of the calling that we received. This, this big picture calling, not just your job, not just your vocation, but the calling to be people who are ambassadors of Jesus, to be completely humble and gentle and patient, bearing with one another in love. Every single effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Do you see how we need the Holy Spirit for this? That, that we could then be a part of this one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who's over all and through all and in all. Paul then takes the, like the rest of chapter four and five to break down what this new life, this new humanity might look like, what it means to, to live differently. It'll make your whole story, your whole life look different. What does it look like to be people who are empowered by the Holy Spirit? And so Paul uses this other metaphor. He says, it's like you're taking off, you're putting off the old self and you're putting on the new self. Almost like you're taking off an old outfit and you're putting on this new outfit, something different. But don't forget, the Holy Spirit's power is how we can take that off and put on something new. So then Paul makes this comparison from the old self to the new self. What did the old self look like compared to the new self with this empowerment of the Holy Spirit? And, and I'm just going to summarize it for you. So let me put it here on the screen. What are we going to take off and what are we going to put on to, to let go of the old self and to step into the new self empowered by the Holy Spirit? We're going to take off division and we're going to put on oneness. Take off lies, put on truth. Take off anger, put on peace. Take off bitterness, put on kindness, take off slander, put on compassion, take off malice, put on love, take off selfishness, put on generosity, take off hurtful words and put on encouragement, take off revenge and put on forgiveness, take off reckless choices and put on self-control. Take off being influenced by everything but God and put on being influenced by the power of God's spirit. Okay, I've got an object lesson for us to finish off here today, all right? Might be a little different, but I really want you guys to remember this, all right? So here's what I want us to do. Think about all the situations that we're facing in the world today. Think about everything that we're dealing with. And if we just inside of us just had our own strength, just had our own power, what would it look like, all right? I'm gonna put this on. I know it might seem just a little silly, but just go with me on this so we can really think about it. I want us to have this object lesson, all right? Let me put this down here so you can see it. So if we were to be wearing this old self, this is gonna be our reality. This is gonna be what 
we experience. Because if, I'll just say, I'll speak for myself. If all I have is my power, all I have is my strength and what I can do on my own, this is gonna be what comes out on the outside. If inside is just my strength and my own trying harder, these are the kinds of things that are gonna come out on the outside. This is this old self that Paul's talking about and nobody wants this to be true, but I will admit that on my own, this is what I have. If this is all I have, division, lies, anger, bitterness, slander, malice, selfishness, hurtful words, revenge, reckless choices. These are intense words, but I hate to say it, they are real. I see them in my life. I see them in the lives of people around me. Okay, let me Mr. Rogers this for a second, okay? Love that guy. Okay, so let's, let's change the story. Let's say what would it look like to put that off and to put on this reality of the new self, empowered by the Holy Spirit. When we surrender to God, the Holy Spirit comes in our life and we experience this new self and then this is what comes out on the outside. Sometimes people might call this the signs of the Holy Spirit in your life or as John talked about it last week, the fruit of the Holy Spirit in your life. Not the trying harder and so this comes out kind of life. The Holy Spirit is in your life and so this is what comes out. Oneness, truth, peace, kindness, compassion, love, generosity, encouragement, forgiveness, self-control. When I think about this commitment to Jesus, this surrender to Jesus, we all have this opportunity to choose this in our lives. Giving our lives to Jesus as our leader and our savior, choosing to accept God's forgiveness for us, the grace and the love through Jesus, whether that's a moment for you or was a process for you, that's the most important decision you could ever make, to surrender your life to Jesus. And if you haven't done that or you wanna talk about that, please let me know. I would love to personally talk to you about that. And if we make that choice, we've got access to all those things that God promises earlier, that God will bring us near to God, that, that God will be our peace, that God will tear down hostility, that God will, will make us kingdom citizens, that God will bring us into God's family that God will give us purpose and calling. All of this is available to us when we first surrender to Jesus. But what Paul is talking about here, living a life worthy of the calling that God has given us, this, I think, is a daily surrender kind of thing. Not just the time, the process, the experience you might've had at some point or will have to say, Jesus, I'm yours, but a daily surrender kind of thing. Daily start to, with surrender to the Holy Spirit. I love that, right? Start with surrender. It's easy to remember that. Start with surrender to the Spirit. That's the only way that I know how this new self, this fruit of the Spirit can come out in our lives, can be our daily reality. Because working harder, getting smarter, learning more, it's just not gonna sustain it. And there's a lot at stake here, you guys. Are we not facing some of the most challenging situations, plural, that most of us have ever seen in our lifetime? And I just think this old self is not gonna work. It's not gonna cut it. Welcoming the spirit into our lives daily as best as we can, being what I sometimes call consciously dependent on the Holy Spirit, choosing dependency on the Holy Spirit is the only way. It's the only way I think we can do it. Because even in the midst of this struggle that we're facing with the pandemic, for instance, maybe because of this struggle, God can be renewing us and shaping us and strengthening us day by day. Here's a question that I think we could ask ourselves. Who do we hope to be at the end of this pandemic and all that it brings? Who do you hope to be? Who do we hope to be as Mill City Church? 
Because if we surrender to God's spirit on the daily, we can be stronger on the other side of this than we are when it started. We can be people who have grown in maturity, in our spiritual maturity, in our willingness to give our lives to Jesus on the end of this than we were when it started. But once again, only by the power of the Holy Spirit. So imagine this with me. Think about the struggles. Think about the things we're facing. This is going to be an imagination exercise, so you're going to need to put on your imagination. Imagine each of these things that we're experiencing, our old humanity versus the new humanity in Jesus. There's a lot at stake right now, in my opinion. I think many of you will agree. So if this is the old humanity, all of this that it represents, let's think about these things we're facing. Imagine with me facing this COVID-19 reality. The fear, emotionally, physically, the economic uncertainty, all of this by being clothed with the old self. Imagine this being what we've got at our disposal in this crisis. Now imagine with me the struggle of racial justice and, and what it means for us to only have our strength, only our strength, our old self strength, the pain that so many of you have experienced as black and indigenous people of color, the division about how the city should move forward and how our country should move forward, the confusion and the frustration. How do I become a peacemaker as someone who is white? The weariness that we're all feeling, if this is all we've got, imagine with me what that would be like. Okay, one more. Imagine the old self, and this is what we've got as we go into this election season and, and this political and ideological division and everything that we're facing. The discussions that, that go from passive aggressive to plain old aggressive with our friends and our family. The confusion that we face trying to figure out how do I keep my allegiance to Jesus when these are the options that I have. And this is all we have at our disposal. How do we figure out how to be kingdom people? If this is what we've got. Imagine just those three things that we're facing. But what's the difference that the Holy Spirit makes? If we'd put off our old self and put on the new self, the new humanity, only by the power of the Holy Spirit, what's the difference that the Holy Spirit makes in our lives? What's the difference if this is what we have in front of us? If this is what can come out because of the power of the Holy Spirit when it comes to our experience with COVID-19 in this pandemic, this is how we could be stronger at the end than we were at the beginning. When it comes to the racial tension and what we're dealing with in our country, in the world, we, because of the power of the Holy Spirit, can see the image of God in every person. God can rid us of the racism and the prejudice and the bias that the enemy wants us to believe. But the power of the Holy Spirit can change that. And when it comes to this divisive political season and the ideologies that are going to be so different, only by the power of the Holy Spirit can we cut through all of the mess and the confusion and continue to keep our allegiance to Jesus and to his kingdom no matter what. Imagine all that we have before us in life, all that we're facing. What difference does the Holy Spirit make in our lives? When it comes to figuring out what to do with our kids, whether they go back to school or not, how to live with our roommates or our partner in peace, how to be people who love our neighbors even when they're frustrating, what it looks like to share Jesus with other people in these complex times. We have to start 
with surrender to the Spirit. We have to start with surrender to the Spirit. This week, we lost two civil rights heroes. No matter what side of the political aisle that you are on, Representative John Lewis and Reverend C.T. Vivian who are men whose legacies are worth honoring. Both men died on Friday at 80 and 95 years old. Think about that. Most of us are pretty far from that. Based on the ways that these men were both of them beaten ruthlessly, there are, it's a reality that they could have died years ago because of what they went through fighting for civil rights. Both were ordained ministers. Both were committed to nonviolence because of their love for Jesus and their allegiance to the kingdom of God. And I'm sure they weren't perfect people. I'm sure they made plenty of mistakes. They probably didn't always make the right decisions as leaders. But if they were standing here today, here's something that I really believe is true. If they were standing here today, I think that they would say that the only way that they went through all that they went through and remained committed to nonviolence is because of the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't make sense otherwise, if you ask me. I really believe that both of them would say, without the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, they couldn't have lived a life worthy of the calling that they had received. They lived a life worthy of that calling, didn't they? Not perfectly, but faithfully. And we all have that same opportunity to let God lead us into the specific callings we've received. Yes, to civil rights, but in all aspects of life, living a life worthy of that calling so that when we're 80 or 95 years old, when we look back and everything we're facing now is just a memory, will we look back and say that we chose to start with surrender to the Holy Spirit most of our days and it changed everything. There are many ways that we can do this, that we can deepen our relationship with Jesus. But I just have one thing to encourage you today, and that is to, to figure out what it looks like to daily surrender. Uh, put, put this up on the screen here for a second. Very practically, how do you remind yourself to start with surrender? Find a reminder, <laughs> pick one practice, and then get some other people involved, include some other people. Find a reminder, maybe put it on your phone or an alarm, uh, your computer desktop. I actually made some little like phone backgrounds for you. If you go to millcitychurch.com slash surrender, some phone backgrounds, some desktop, desktop backgrounds. Remind yourself right away in the morning to choose to start with surrender. And then pick one practice. Maybe it's centering prayer, reading a psalm, reading from the, the scripture that we're going through in the New Testament, maybe journaling, even just for a, a couple minutes. Maybe it's a breath prayer. It doesn't matter. And then include somebody else. Who's going to be your surrender buddies? That's what I'm calling them. Who can be your surrender buddies to say, we've got to start with surrender? How do we navigate these strange days? We need to start with surrender. How will we approach this fall and all the things that are going to come with it? We need to start with surrender. How do we live? We need to start with surrender. I'm going to close by praying the same prayer over you that Paul prayed over the church in Ephesus in Ephesians 3. I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with the power through his Holy Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to th know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. 
Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.